Thank you to the Peach family for this week's children's moment. Uh, did y'all see that sweet elderly man in there, Jay Clark, and and his young wife Vanya? Uh, what a uh, what a blessing! And thank you to all of those who served at our uh, food pantry this past Wednesday here locally, or if you went uh, to Jonesboro yesterday to serve, or even uh, our Thursdays, third Thursdays, uh, feeding the homeless. Uh, we appreciate all those who participate in those service opportunities. We're in the final couple weeks of a series that we have been calling Grow, as we've reflected on our mission to make and grow followers of Jesus. What does it look like? What does it mean to be a growing follower of Him? And the series has really helped us identify these seven characteristics, these seven next steps of a growing follower, that when we enter the waters of baptism, that we aren't just done at that point, but that we live the baptized life. And so what does it mean to live the baptized life? We're not just saved from something, but we are saved to something. And one of those things that we're saved to is to serve others. Another way to say it is that saved people serve people. Uh, We believe that with the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we can increasingly think and act and talk and even love like Jesus taught us to. So we worship regularly as you see behind me because He did. Uh, We connect with God uh, through times of prayer and being in the Word. And I'm excited today that we're going to have further opportunities to do that through our new classes that are starting. And our Connections Minister, Chris Richardson, is going to be telling you a little bit more about that at the end of the service. We live differently. Who more than Jesus radically lived differently in this world? We do life together because that's what Jesus did. We give generously as we looked at last week because Jesus was the ultimate giver. He gave it all. And we serve others, which is what we want to focus on today. And when you read the Gospels, what you you find is that Jesus was astoundingly available. Have you ever thought about how available Jesus was? And so you really could go to any of the four Gospels, and you could find this description of who Jesus was. Um, But I'm going to encourage us to look at the Gospel of Mark for the next few moments. One, it's the shortest of all the Gospels. So if you've not read the Gospels before, I'd encourage you to start with Mark. It's kind of like a shooting script of Jesus' life. And I like Mark because he doesn't mince any words. 16 chapters, he gets to the point pretty quickly. And if you just think about going through, and if you have your Bibles, and encourage you to pull those out, turn to Mark chapter 1. Or if you're looking on your device, we're going to move through pretty quickly here. But I want to just give us this survey. I want to give us this uh, brief overview of Mark's gospel as we come to uh, a chapter here in just a moment. But think about it in Mark chapter 1 if you're looking in the text. What you notice is that Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, and then he heals a man with leprosy pretty full day in Jesus's life. In Mark 2, he heals a man that is lowered through the roof. I mean, there's a lot of things that 
I can imagine, but I can't imagine right now somebody just being lowered through this roof and me expected to just deal with it in the midst of preaching. But this is what Jesus does. He forgives his sin and then he tells him to take up his mat and walk. Mark chapter 3, he heals a man with a shriveled hand. Mark chapter 4, he is awakened in the middle of a nap and tells the wind and the waves to be still. Um, when I try to wake my kids up, they just tell me to go away, you know. Jesus is awakened in the middle of a nap. He says, be still. He has authority over the weather. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus restores a man with an impure spirit. He raises a dead girl and he heals a woman bleeding for 12 years. Mark chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. Mark chapter 7, he heals a Greek woman's daughter, puts his fingers in a deaf man's ears, and the deaf man is no longer deaf. Mark chapter 8, he feeds the 4,000 and heals a blind man. Mark chapter 9, he heals a boy who can't talk. And what does the boy's father say? I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Mark chapter 10, Jesus made himself available for the children. He said, let them come to me. It's time for a children's moment. He doesn't turn himself away from them or say, no, I've got other things to do. He says, let them come. And then we get to the encounter with the rich young ruler that we talked about last week in Mark chapter 10. Then Jesus predicts his death and resurrection, and then this is where we find ourselves today in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Here comes the sons of thunder, James and John. Uh, it's not our tech art guys who are named James and John as well. This is the apostles James and John. And they come to Jesus and say in verse 35, James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Did you notice? Did you catch that? In your glory, we want to sit at the right and the left. Matthew's account would tell us that James and John got their mother to do the dirty work for them. That she was the one that went and asked Jesus about this. And, and I can identify with this as a parent. Like, there's nothing wrong with like wanting good things for your children. I remember a few years ago being down at the BJCC and took our daughter to go see the, the Lion King, the musical. And we were smack dab on the back row. I mean, we were as far as away as you could get. And um, inevitably, you know, a tall guy sits in front of my daughter and, you know, you've been there if you're a parent. And so I'm literally having to hold my daughter up. Like, I'm like doing the Simba thing, like in the middle of the Lion King thing, you know, and I'm holding her up and so that she can see, you know, what's, what's happening in the, in the musical. And about halfway through the show at the intermission, I just 
go up to one of the ushers and I say, hey, um, do you think that we could get another seat? Do you think we could get a better seat? And she says, sure. And she walked me all the way, like all, walked us all the way down almost to the front. And in the second half of the show, we got, the, we got this better seat. You know, I, I can identify with like wanting a better seat, particularly as a parent. And in Matthew's account, it said that James and John's mother like goes and asks Jesus, hey, can they, can they have a better seat? Can they have the best seat, the seat at your right and at your left? James and John, though, want to turn Jesus's messianic journey to Jerusalem into a march to glory, a glory in which they will be on either side of. And they have clearly heard all the language about suffering. They've, they've heard all the language about death and rising again. And here's how they've interpreted it. They've interpreted it to mean, hey, it's going to be tough, but we're going to come out on top. This is how they've interpreted it. And Jesus responds with the real talk. He says that the kingdom of God turns the world's ideas of power and glory upside down and inside out. That the way of Jesus challenges and subverts all the human systems which claim to put the world right, but in fact only succeed in bringing a different set of humans out on top. The reason that James and John, I believe, misunderstand Jesus is the same reason that we often misunderstand Jesus. It's because we want Jesus without the cross. This is the self-help Jesus that we often desire, whether we articulate that or not. This is the, the messianic savior that we want to follow because the cross calls into question all human pride and all glory. James and John, they don't know what they're asking for. And when Jesus sits in his glory with one at his right and another at his left, it will be on a Roman cross. Not in between two apostles, but in between two criminals. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to turn the world's values and power systems on their heads. And he's setting off to give his life as a ransom for many. And what we're discovering through this journey is that if we want to receive what he has to offer, we have no choice but to follow. Mark 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is it okay to desire a great life. I would say, yeah. Just, we want a great life. 
But what Jesus comes on the scene and talks about, what he, what he says is that how you go about achieving that greatness matters. We look for the right school. We look for the greatest school, the greatest teachers, the greatest coaches, the greatest student minister, the greatest children's minister, which I think we have, by the way. If we can get these people to serve our children, if we can just get the right people to serve our children, then they will become great human beings. And Jesus said, the only way you can become great in my kingdom is to serve others. It's great to desire this great life. Jesus just redefines greatness. That we are not saved by our service, we are saved for our service. And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just write the curriculum. He's teaching the class. He doesn't just write the curriculum, but he also lived it. And so in John 13, Verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And scripture says, as he was eating with his disciples, in verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you picture this scene? Can you imagine yourself sitting in the presence of the one that we call Lord? So many thoughts and questions and things that are running through your mind and then all of a sudden he pulls out a towel. He pulls out a bowl of water and he comes to your feet. Most of us would probably have the response that Peter did. <laughs> not, not, not me, Lord. I mean, you're not, you're not going to wash my feet. And then we would probably have the response that Peter did when Jesus said, if I don't do this, then you're not, you're not with me. But then wash my whole body. Pour it over my head. Give, give me the Gatorade dump. You know, I want the whole thing. I want the whole enchilada. We often find ourselves in these extremes of the spectrum in our lives. And when he had finished, verse 12, washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Like, do, do you get it? 13, you, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed. If you study them, no, no, no. You'll be blessed if you tell other people to do this. No, no, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
Bob Goff in his book, Everybody Always, says, uh, we don't need to call everything we do ministry. Just call it Tuesday. That's what people who are becoming love do. And what if ministry was not just a program? What if it became our identity? Like we think that serving others has to be this extravagant thing that super Christians do, but in God's economy, it becomes as regular as a Tuesday. This is who we are. What if your mentality this week became, I live to serve because I'm following a servant? Uh, you may recognize the name uh, Dan Cathy, the former CEO and now chairman of Chick-fil-A. Uh, I feel like I know the guy because I, I tithe to him every week. <laughs> but the story is told of him and Pastor Rick Warren in Southern California meeting up and they go to a, a Chick-fil-A that's being built, so it's not open yet. And as they're there, they, they get hungry, and so they decide to go across the street to the Taco Bell. So they walk into the Taco Bell, and they go into the bathroom, and the sinks are rather dirty. And so Dan Cathy gets some paper towels and begins wiping down all the sinks of his competitor at Taco Bell. And Rick Warren is watching him do this and just says, Dan, what, what are you doing? And Dan just replies and says, we teach our people to leave the place that they're at better than they found it, even if it's not your place. And Rick says, that spoke volumes to him about the character of Dan. If you want to turn heads for the sake of Christ this week, leave places better than you found it. I can't tell you the times that I've, and I don't do this every time, but walked out of a restaurant with three kids and tried to apply this principle. You talk about some people looking at you crazy. You just walked out of here with three kids and this place looks better than you found it? You get some head turns. As we approach March Madness, I, I can't help but think of a woman's basketball coach and legend Pat Summit, who had over a thousand wins for the University of Tennessee in her career. Uh, she was the winningest D1 women's coach for a while until she was passed by Stanford's coach just a couple years ago. But they were honoring Pat in the gym one evening and they were putting up a banner in the gym with her name on it. And she just commented that, you know, this, this really isn't about me. I've never scored a single point for the University of Tennessee. And, and she, she went on to say that uh, her athletes had a graduation rate stunningly of 100%. She ordered all of her athletes to sit in the first three rows of their class, no exceptions. Coach Summit had many struggles in her life. She had six miscarriages in her battle to become a mother. She divorced after 27 years of marriage. She suffered from dementia later in life. If you've ever witnessed that firsthand, you know 
just how painful that is. On May 5th, 2012, just four years before her life would come to an end, Pat was baptized into Christ. Her philosophy was, you win in life with people. I believe that Jesus taught her that. You want to be great, become a servant of others, Jesus says. Uh, We want to give you just an opportunity to take that next step this week. And so I want to invite our outreach minister, Willie Chrisman, if he'll make his way up on stage and to tell us just a simple way that we can serve others in our community, uh, a way that has become known as the the 50-50 challenge. So Willie, welcome. Thank you for being our special guest today. Thank you, Brent. It's always a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about uh, what is the origin of the 50-50 challenge. We heard this last year. Um, and now we're talking about it again this year. What's the origin of it and, and what's it all about? And I think it's good to know that people are here who might not have been here last year when we did this the first time. Uh, the idea was that uh, we know that this is a very generous faith family, that we are very willing to give to causes financially at a moment's notice. But our concern was whether we were able to give of ourselves just as willingly. So we came up with this idea to do something we call the 50-50 challenge where we ask people to uh, donate $50 to any cause they want that helps other people, to at some point over the next 50 days, donate at least 50 minutes of your time to help somebody else. It could be very small, it could be very large, but just to do that to serve people, in a way it's kind of the 50-50-50 challenge, but I was getting too wordy. So we just kept it at the 50-50 challenge. So that is the idea behind it. So $50, and this is, uh, there's a card in the PRAC, is that right? Uh, That's going to tell us a little bit more about that. But $50 and 50 minutes, we'll get to that in a second. And um, also over the next 50 days is what we're challenging one another to participate in. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And this is the second time we've done it. And uh, apparently it worked well last time, so we're going to do it again. So what were, uh, last year we were blown away about some of the, the stories that we just heard from the 50-50 challenge. You participating in this and sharing some of those stories uh, with us. And so um, can you maybe just share a few highlights from last year about some stories? Funny you should ask that. I have a few to tell you. Yeah. Uh, we, and they're already loaded. <laughs> there you go, see? Uh, there were some amazing stories that we got from this, and I think that many of us were bowled over by some of those stories. Uh, one of them involved Mary Beth Peach and her small army of young men that she carries around with her all the time. Uh, but they took their $50 and went to Sam's Club and brought materials and food and took it down to a warming station for the homeless and gave their $50 that way. Another example was Steve and Brenda Brandon, who took their $50 and went down and donated it to Donnie the Candyman, who is a quadriplegic who sells candy near UAB, he, and gave them the $50 to bless him in his life. Uh, there were families that were involved. Brooklyn Greenwood and her family took their $50 and donated it to a service that provides adaptive bicycles for special needs children. And so their money was used to try to contribute to a fund that would help buy those bicycles for for kids. And the Savage family, Becca and Tom Savage, Becca works at a youth detention center once a week, and they took their funds and used that to create posters of inspiration for the kids who are at the detention center to hang in the cafeteria, but also took their $50 to provide uh, for 
hygiene and other supplies for those kids. They used their $50 and added to it. And one of the amazing things we saw in many of these stories that we heard over these past few months was not only that people took the $50, but also added to it to increase the reach of what they could do. And that was very inspiring as well. Yeah, it was, uh, we, we kind of put the challenge on our, our children last year. And I remember, you know, their wheels turning and we began just praying about, you know, doors to be opened. And uh, we ended up uh, just coming across a, a librarian locally uh, who, you know, was just in need of a, of, a, of a blessing. And so our kids were able to bless her and, and the tears that came to her eyes. And, and it was a, just a sweet moment. So, so I think the amazing thing too is just that it could be small, it could be large. One of our acts was, one of our members who created a food, a, a food pantry where people could just walk up and get the food they need. So they use that money toward that. So it can be anything from a very small token to something that affects many more people. And I think the other question, hopefully not jumping the gun on you, is that uh, what do these 50 minutes of service look like? And they could look like anything you want to look like. They could look like helping a neighbor who isn't able to get uh, food delivered to them, to pick up food for them or take them to a doctor's appointment. It could be working for uh, an organization and volunteering with them for, for, for a few minutes. It could be coming to our food pantries here at the building and in Jonesboro and feeding under the bridge that we do every month. Your 50 minutes can be burned off very quickly doing those things. So it's just a wide range of opportunities that frankly are just up to you. you know, and so part of our desire is not uh, you know, just that we you know, go and just do things, you know, just to do things. Uh, this is an opportunity for us as a faith family to, to take this next step together. Um, and so in so doing, we believe that, that lives will be touched and transformed as well as our hearts as we do so. So what are some things we need to know as far as how do we get the $50? How do we, um, you know, apply this? And, and where can we share some of the things that we're, we're doing? Uh, here come the rules. Uh, and really, they're not rules. Because first... First of all, no one is obligated to do this, but we will give you the $50. You will not obligate to take it. If you don't want to do this, that's fine. If you do take it, we do ask that you use it for the purpose that we ask, that you use the $50 to donate to some person or cause within our local community, that you use it to provide 50 minutes of personal service, and that you do it over the next 50 days. Again, this could be Anybody in this congregation, if you are a member of this congregation, you are eligible for this, for this uh, event. And, and it makes me feel good about this because this is the one time of the year where I get to feel like a game show host, but, but in, in the good sense because nobody loses in this game and we, uh, we think that's great. So how do you get this? Around this building in the Purex in front of you, there are roughly 100 of these envelopes that are spread around. If you are interested in participating in the challenge, we ask you to take that $50 and go forth. Uh, there are no, again, there's no catch. You don't have to tell us what you're using it for. You don't have to describe what you're using it for. Nobody's gonna follow up and ask you, uh, what do you do with $50? Uh, this is totally an honor system. Uh, but the other thing is that we just ask that you do that. And, and what we also ask is that if you are so inclined that you share those stories with us, like the stories that you just saw on the monitor there, and it's not to, show people how great we are and what good we do, but to show how God works in our community and to show us how we can inspire others to serve. So those envelopes are placed around this building in the Purex. If you do not get a Purex, uh, one out of the Purex day, uh, 
There are some empty pews, so there are probably some there, but also if you don't get one you want to participate, just contact the church office tomorrow and we will make sure you get the $50 to do with whatever you want to do. Yeah, so we don't want to leave anybody out. So if you're in a place where somebody grabs one in the pew rack in front of you and you're not able to grab one, you can find one in another pew rack or you can call the church office tomorrow um, and we'll uh, just continue in, in that vein. So uh, don't, don't feel pressure to do that. That is something that we're inviting you to. Uh, one per family unit, is that right? We said that this was one per household, and how we describe a household is either a family unit, a family with small children, or individuals. If you are an individual, you are also eligible for this. Uh, so one per household is what we say as, as the, uh, how we describe that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Willie. It's my pleasure. Thank you for letting me be Bob Barker. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or is it Drew Carey? I'm not sure as he says, but thank you. Well, I'm, I'm just excited to see how, how God will continue to use this, this effort. Uh, for our church family. I'm excited to see the kids that will be involved in this of uh, all ages and to see how, how God will continue to bless us uh, as we honor and serve Him. Uh, so how can you participate in the 50-50 challenge? I would encourage you to pray for doors to be open, uh, even maybe this week, uh, for you to be able to participate in that. I was reminded this week of the first person in the Bible who was said to be filled with the Spirit of God. And this has always been intriguing to me because the first person in Scripture who is said to be filled with the Spirit of God is not Adam or Eve. It's, it's not Noah or Abraham or Joseph or Moses or Elijah or Daniel or Mary or Paul or Jonah or even the well. The first person to be filled with the Spirit of God is a man named Bezalel in Exodus 31. He was not a prophet, was not a priest, was not a king, was not an apostle. He was a craftsman, skilled in design. He had an eye for color and a flair for management. So when it was time to build a tabernacle for the people of Israel, he oversaw the job. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Can you imagine being Bezalel? From our youth, you love to work with your hands. You don't know that God's involved, but he is. And he's actually placed those desires in you, which will one day bless people around you. So in his book, the me that I want to be, author John Ortberg tells a story and says that when you're working, the joy and power you feel is actually the presence of the Spirit. One of the greatest temptations from uh, the enemy, I believe, is to try to make us think that our service is about us. And so this doesn't always happen to me in, in a certain way. It, it happens in different ways. And so one of the temptations that the enemy places on me is not necessarily, hey, I want everybody to know about this, this thing that I'm doing. But a lot of times it is this temptation to be disappointed when someone doesn't say thank you. And so you practice the way of Jesus and the person did not say, wow, thank you for being awesome. And you're like, why didn't you thank me for being an awesome person? Because I'm an awesome person. You know, like that's something that I expect. 
Local author Jennifer Phillips says that one of the biggest sources of conflict between you and your kids is when they refuse to bow down to your idols. And I believe that that's true of not just those of us with kids. I believe that's true of most of us. When we bow down to our idols of control, our idols of reputation, our idol of success, our idol of convenience. And we're not following Christ to the cross. Instead, we're asking to sit at his right or at his left. And God's grace in my life is when he shows me my selfishness, when he shows me my idolatry, and he meets me with his love and his grace. We have a perfect father who doesn't tire of you when you return to broken cisterns. He picks up a basin and a towel and he draws you back and changes you little by little to be more like him. He invites you back to the table, a table that can change your heart, a table that can transform your mind. As we prepare for communion this morning, I want to invite you to pull out your communion packets. And if you did not receive a communion packet on the way in, I just ask that you'll raise your hand. We'll have one of the praise team members bring you one, some in the back over here. There's only one work that can save. And it was finished at the cross of Calvary. And the good news of the gospel is that you and I can not add anything to what Christ accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we engage the world, we serve others that we come in contact with, not for our victory, but from it. So as we eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, uh, we do so with hearts that are grateful. And I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I just want you to say either to the right or the left, say that Jesus paid it all. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. Jesus paid it all. And here's what I want you to say, and he put me here to tell you. As we participate in communion this morning, we're reminded that we're not alone in this, that this is a communal experience. Let's pray for the bread. Father, as we eat, we remember your son, our savior. We ask that you'll forgive us for the times that we forsake you. And we confess those times to you right now. And now, God, we're reminded that by your grace that we nail these to the cross. May we forever be grateful for the old rugged cross. So as we eat the bread this morning, we remember our servant king, the body of our Lord and Savior given for us. And we do so in remembrance of him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
the body of Christ given for you. Let's pray for the cup. So Father, we, we don't have to come to you uh, through a, a preacher or an elder or a parent, but we come to you through the blood. And we thank you for the blood of Christ. The blood that takes away the sin of the world. So as we participate in this drinking of the cup today, that we do so in union with you and in common union with one another. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. The blood of Christ given for you.
to thank you for your giving. If you uh, came prepared to give today, uh, you may do so in the foyer or online. And we are confident that the funds that we give are making a difference in the world that we live. And we're thankful for your generosity. Uh, in a moment, we're going to sing the song, Give Me the Heart of a Servant. And I went back and reflected on these lyrics this week, and I think it really uh, sums up a lot of today's message. Give me the heart of a servant, tender and faithful and true. Fill me with love, then use me, O Lord, so that the world can see you. Give me the hands of a servant, ready your work to do. Strengthen with hope and mercy and grace so that the world can see you. Give me the eyes of a servant. Help me to see your view. People have needs. The love intercedes so that the world can see you. Give me the life of a servant, humble and grateful, renewed, yielding my life and self-sacrifice so that the world can see you. If you have a need this morning, a prayer need, or if today's the day that you want to give your life to Christ, to be baptized into him as Miss Katie did last week, we would love to celebrate that with you. Let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, we thank you for the gifts of this day. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to be reminded of not only the written word, but the living word. We're thankful for Christ. We're thankful for his example, God. We just pray that we will continue to become more like him in all that we do, whether it be in our, our homes, whether it be in our places of work, whether it be in our schools, uh, whether it be with uh, difficult personalities that we'll encounter this week. God, I just pray that uh, our heart's desire is to continue to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, we're thankful for the grace and the mercy that he has showed each and every one of us. And may we return that uh, to you in praise. Uh, as we sing here in just a moment, we pray that you'll give us the heart and the mind and the hands and the eyes and the life of a servant. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this morning. Give me the heart of a servant, tender and faithful and true. Fill me with love, then use me, O Lord, so that the world can see you. Give me the